Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Welcome. We're at part four of a series. This is it. We are done. We're, this is part four of our series called In the Meantime. Um, if you are just joining us today, uh, it, it's, it's going to be worth the price of admission, I'm, I hope. Um, if you have been here, you kind of know what we've been talking about, that literally... Every person, every human being, if you've been on planet Earth for any legitimate length of time, you have gone through a season of life where you felt like you were stuck, you felt like things were hard, you felt like things weren't going your way. You feel Because here's what, what, what was the genesis of this series, is I had multiple conversations, prayer moments, counseling sessions, whatever, and it was people that either were so stuck that they had no options, and they couldn't go forward, and they couldn't go backward, and they were just hanging out, waiting for something to break, waiting for God to answer a prayer, or, and this is, I don't know which one's worse, um, or they were stuck in such a situation that they only had two options and they both stunk. You ever been there before? You're like, I, I can do this, I can do this, but I don't want to do either one of them. Both of them are going to be like bad. Both of them are going to hurt somebody or create pain. Or It's like a loser or a lose. And I got to pick the lesser of two evils. Like that's where you, and you feel like you're in the meantime. Like you're just stuck, you're waiting, you're hoping, you need God to do something miraculous in your life. And, and, and here's the deal, there's all these temptations that come along when you're stuck in the meantime. Because when you're in the meantime, there's a real easy temptation just to look at other people. Because it's easy with Facebook and social media to look at other people's lives and be like, why don't I have their marriage? Why don't I have their kids? Uh, why don't I have their job? Why can't I go on that vacation? Why can't I? And, and you can get jealous. You can get resentful. Sometimes you can just look at other people and think, you're the reason. You are the cause of my pain. And I'm very angry at you. And I think I hate you right now. And I, you, can, you can get mad at people. There's another temptation where you don't look outward but sometimes you look inward and you beat yourself up and you get really depressed or you, you, know, you, you get down on yourself. Other people don't look out or in. They look up and they get mad at God. Because they're like, God, if you just answer my prayer, this would have never happened. God, if you just bless or give me favor or help me out or if you just rescue or save or deliver or do all those Bible things that you do, none of this would happen. It's easy sometimes to think because God doesn't do what you want him to do, that God must not exist. You ever gotten to like that point where you started to doubt God altogether? Because, which is weird because like if you have decent parents, then, then you could go the same route because your parents didn't do what you wanted them to do. Your parents didn't exist. But you don't believe that, right? You believe your parents exist, but they didn't cooperate either. And they didn't always do what you wanted them to. And so you, you don't want to go down that road and use that logic because here's what we've discovered. Sometimes God doesn't do what we think he ought to do. Sometimes God doesn't answer prayers the way that we think he ought to answer prayers. And I get that because I think, God, if you just do it my way, my way seems, you ever thought your way just seems perfectly logical? Like my way seems awesome. Why are you not on board with my ideas, God? And the answer is we don't know. But here's what we, we do know. We know that God's wisdom is so much higher than ours, that it is infinite while we are finite. And something is going on. So anyway, in week one, we learn this, though, is that the presence of adversity does not equal or does equate to the absence of God. Like, just because you're going through pain, suffering, or trials, or you're stuck in the meantime, and it's just you on an island with, with a volleyball or whatever that was, that, that, that doesn't mean God doesn't exist. And it doesn't mean that God doesn't care. It doesn't mean that he's even angry. You ever felt like that? You were stuck in the meantime because God was angry at you? 
you grew up Pentecostal or Catholic or deep Baptist or something, maybe you have that like guilt thing on you where you're like, God's getting me. Anybody ever felt like that? Yeah, God's, God's getting, he's punishing me because of something I've done wrong. And I, I, I don't know that that's the case. So in week two, though, we, we talked about how the Apostle Paul says that there's a secret to contentment when you're in the meantime. There's a secret to persevering. There's a secret to overcoming. And he said this. He said the secret to enduring is actually this mystery called Christ in you empowering you. That there's like a mystery there and it, and it looks different to everybody and they feel a little bit differently but they know this and there's other people that come through incredible trial, suffering, pain, whatever it is and they just say, hey, God sustained me and I don't even know why or how but I just knew he was with me. It was Christ in me empowering me. And then last week we, we learned this idea that, that trials are something that are going to be a part of life. Jesus said, just prepare yourself, they're going to come. All of the disciples, none of them died of a broken heart. None of them like, got mad at God because they, they felt like they got duped. As a matter of fact, one of Jesus' last words to the disciples were this. In this life, you will have trials, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. But we learned this. So, so trials are going to happen, but trials do not build maturity. It's almost like the guy that says that he's been on the job for 50 years and he's got 50 years of experience. That's not necessarily true. Sometimes they just have two years experience repeated 25 times, right? You know someone like that? Is that that's your boss? Anyway, so trials don't build maturity. As a matter of fact, we know this. Sometimes trials break people. Sometimes, sometimes the trial is so heavy that you just turn to medicating it somehow, some way. That that's what trials do. Sometimes trials break you. Trials don't build maturity. Perseverance builds maturity. And if you'll learn to persevere, if you'll learn the Christ in you and figure out that mystery, if you'll learn that, you know what, God is still with me even in the midst of it, I'm telling you, you can make it through. And maturity, something will happen in you. You'll get on the other side of that thing and be different and be better because of it. Everybody say today. That was to catch up all you people that, that missed parts two and three or parts one and two or whatever it was. That you... Today I want to talk about something and here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to, I'm just going to throw it out here. I'm not telling you to do what I'm going to tell you to do today. I'm not telling you like this is the way it is. or this. I'm telling you like you need to like wrestle with this. And we're going to unpack about seven, eight verses today. And I'm just going to like throw out some ideas. And then you're going to have to wrestle with, is that me? You're going to have to wrestle with, is that what God's doing? Because I'm not telling you that's what God's doing. I'm just telling you that it might be. It might just be. And it might just be that if you'll kind of swallow what I'm going to say today and wrestle with it, that something will happen in you that will change the way that you look at what you're going through. Let's pray real quick before I get into this. Father, I pray, God, for everybody here listening today, God, that their hearts, their minds would just be prepared, that they'd be listening to you, that it'd be open to you, and that, Lord God, you would speak to them. God, you know the details of their life and their meantime situation, and so, God, I pray that you would have your way in us today, Lord. That's my prayer. In Jesus' name, we all said... Amen. If you have your Bible, you can turn over to, um, to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 in just a minute. We'll get there in just a minute. Um, today, what I want to talk about is, is I want to go back to a guy named the Apostle Paul. We, we talked about him a couple weeks ago. And if you don't know the story of the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, if you look at your New Testament, from Matthew to Revelation, he wrote a little over half of that. And most of these writings are writings that he wrote to churches explaining who Jesus was and why Jesus and why. And he was putting like Old Testament stuff with New Testament stuff. And he basically is, but here's what you need to know about him. He's not one of the 12 disciples that walked around with Jesus. 
As a matter of fact, he didn't even become a Christ follower until after this thing started. Like after the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, after all that, this guy becomes a Christ follower. He had a literal road to Damascus experience. If you've ever heard that phrase, that's where that comes from because that's what he had. He's on a road and he gets knocked off his horse and sees a light and hears a voice and God speaks to him and then he, it just changes his life. And from that point forward, he starts going to every person that ever followed and walked with Jesus and he was, a, he was what we would call like a biblical scholar. So he knew all of the Old Testament, had memorized large portions of the Old Testament, had studied, his whole life studied the, the, what we call the Old Testament. And he starts putting together how Jesus was the fulfillment of all these things. And he's, he's like, wow, I want to tell the world about this. So he becomes literally what you might consider like a Christian missionary. And he goes all around the Mediterranean rim, planting churches, telling the story of Jesus, telling other people about how God has sent a Savior into the world. And it's just incredible what God does through this man named Paul. But we don't know when, but in 2 Corinthians, he begins to describe something. We know that he's a good guy, that he's full of faith, that he's had all this insight and revelation into who God is and what God's doing in the earth. But he gets something that is so awful, that is so painful, that is so debilitating, that is so humiliating, that it causes him to like question everything and wonder, God, how am I going to keep going and what am I going to do? And you asked me to do this and now I've got this and how am I? And, and we don't even know the details of it, but he describes this incredibly kind of humiliating or debilitating experience. And I want us to look at the way that he looks at it and the way that he describes it. So if you have your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, I'm sorry, I lost my place. What chapter is it? 12. Chapter 12, verse 7. I messed that up. So the Bible says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in the flesh, or in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, we're going to look at a few verses, but I just want you to like... He, he's describing something here, and he says it in such a weird way. I'm not telling you to look at your trials this way. I'm telling you that he looked at them this way. Everybody say, in order to. When you say in order to, when anybody, your boss, your parent, and somebody says, oh, hey, in order to, what are they implying? They're implying that there's a purpose. Like, so that you can get this, so that you can achieve this, so you can have this. Meaning like there's a plan, there's a purpose, there's an end result. And maybe you're not even thinking about it. But he goes, in order to keep me from becoming conceited or arrogant or whatever. And he goes on to say that basically because of how God used him, of what God showed him, the insight that God gave him, the level of prompt. Did y'all ever write the Bible? I never wrote the Bible. So I can't get that big headed, but he could have. Right? Like, I, I didn't get this insight and wisdom, but, but he did. He could have gotten big-headed and conceited and arrogant and all these things. And so he says, in order to keep me from becoming, becoming conceited, I was, everybody say, given. Now, that's not how I think about my pain. I never, like, if you look at this in the Greek, and I don't want to, you know, Greek you out, but like, if you look at this in the Greek, this is the word that you would use as if you were giving a present to somebody at Christmas time. Yeah, like my son just turned 13 and we did a birthday party and people showed up with gifts and presents and we got him. And I would be like, look, I'm giving you this gift. And he said, woohoo, you know, awesome, I'm, you know, whatever. We never do that when we get gifts like this because we would never even say it like this. We would say, in order to, I was cursed. 
in order to, I was punished. In order to, God got me. You know, you ever felt like God's getting you? We don't even know what that means, but he's getting us. But Paul says, in order to, I was given, like a gift, a thorn in my flesh. Now, this is, a, this is like just descriptive. He's not telling you all the details, and there's all kinds of like, kind of conjecture on what this was. Some people thought that this was like malaria because of where he traveled in the world. Somebody thought that it was kind of like an eye disease that he had because there's, 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 there's like information that shows that he had like problems with his eyes. There's other people that go back to a different portion of 2 Corinthians, and there's a list. There's a list of all the hardships that he went through. Like he was shipwrecked. <laughs> he, was, he was literally, there's this crazy part where he says, I was floating in the ocean for a, like two days and a night. Like, like, I would just be freaked out, you know? I would never go in the water again. That's what I, like, like he was stoned. Like, some people think, like, it was a physical deformity because there's this one, if you read the book of Acts, it tells a lot of his travels. And it says that he was once stoned and they thought he was dead, so they just drug him to the edge of the city and left him there. But then all the Christians were like, hey, let's go get Paul. And they went and got him and he was alive. So, like, can you imagine being beaten and deformed? And, or, or, or you know, Again, there's all kinds of different conjecture debate on what this was but he just describes it as a thorn in my flesh a messenger of satan now this is a weird term I, most people don't believe that this was like satan do it it wasn't like god was like hey satan you want to go get paul for me that's not what was going on most people say that this is like this is like a, a euphemism this is just like a you, you ever you'd be like man that hurt like the devil <laughs> you ever you ever heard that before yeah okay but that's what he's saying, like, man, I had this thing, it hurt like the devil. And it tormented me. And I just want to get you to see that, like, this is how he begins to describe the pain or the trial. So I don't know how you describe your trial, but he said it hurt like the devil. He said it stunk, it was, but it was a gift in order to. Next verse, number eight, says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. It was so legit that this isn't like three times. This isn't like, you know, you ever do like little prayers? Like, oh yeah, and by the way, God, if you would. Like you're doing dinner prayer. Like, thank you for the food. Oh yeah, by the way, grandma's tripping. You know, can you help grandma? No. This is three major seasons of life where he goes, I begged him. I pleaded with him. I, I cried tears. You ever cried tears to get God to do something? Like, this is what that means. If you read it in its context, this is deep asking. This is not casual. This is not random. This isn't like while I'm showering my hair. Oh, yeah, God, could you please? This is so much more intense than that. But verse 9 says this, but he said to me, and this I, I, I'm stop here because I thought this is this is what I think what we really need and what we really want in life. Sometimes the greatest comfort in life is not getting a solution, but just hearing a voice. Have you ever I don't know if you ever been like this. I remember being a young man and I won't describe to you the details, but I was hurt up and tore up and messed up and just in a really bad place. And like mom was on the other side of the state and I was so jacked up and tore up that I like called mom. I'm like, mom. Are you there? I just needed to hear your voice. Did y'all ever? Am I the only one that ever got that tore up that I called mama? Y'all never called? 
I've done that with my dad. I've had times in my life like, Dad, I just, man, I just needed to hear somebody's voice that I knew loved me, <laughs> you know, like that kind of a thing. Like, sometimes we just want to hear a voice. And sometimes just knowing that God's there, just knowing that he cares, just knowing that he's engaged, just knowing that, that can be the better solution. Because you ever felt like that? You ever pray, God, just give me a voice, give me a sign, speak to me, show me something. I don't care if it comes from a friend or like a cartoon. I don't, anything will do. I will take breadcrumbs right now if you will just speak to me and he says to me this is beautiful my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness let me read that again my i lost my place my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made for you you know what god's saying here god is saying you've been asking and you've been pleading and the answer is no that's what he's saying, isn't it? He's saying the answer is no, but I'll give you a promise. My grace will get you through this. And not only that, like this is the real thing that you need to think about, is that what he's saying is this, is I'm going to show off my power through your weakness. Like your weakness has a plan and it has a purpose, but I promise you this, you will get through it and my grace will sustain you even as hard as you think it is. If you will lean into me, if you will basically trust in me, my grace will see you through no matter what it is that you're going through right now. My power, what he's saying is this, is my power maybe even reaches its fullest potential when you're weak. Because every time you're strong and you keep doing things on your own strength and in your own way and in your own wisdom, you keep messing stuff up, you're probably at your best. When you know that you are at your weakest, when all, when, here, here's my point. When you know that all you have is God, sometimes that's when you know that what you have is more than enough. You keep depending on everything else in life and you keep figuring out on your own. And you, it, he says, my grace is made perfect in your weakness. Next verse says this, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. So he doubles down on this thing. He goes on to say, hey, look, this is just the way that I began to look at my trial and my suffering and my pain. I realized that God was up to something. Now, I don't know if you can see that in your pain. And I don't know if that's what's going on. Sometimes our pain is just a result of really, really, really bad decisions that we made. Sometimes it's a result of foolishness. Sometimes it's a result of sin. Sometimes it's a result of other people's sin. But in some cases and in many cases, there are things that even if you think you caused them or another person caused them, that God in those moments will do something incredible that you would never guess and you would never believe. You just wouldn't ever see it that way. But Paul said, I began to see it. Like, what if there was a plan? Like, what if, what if God was up to something and there was a purpose and that there was, it was a gift with a purpose. And then on the back side of this gift and a purpose, there was a promise in there that no matter how hard it would get, that his grace would sustain me through it all. So here's what I'm going to do. Rather than get in the dumps and get depressed and get into a, you know, kind of a self-pity mode, what if I begin to boast? Another translation says, I will glory, therefore I will glory or boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Because here's what I know our typical response is. Whenever we are weak, we like to hide it. Right? Because nobody likes to look weak. 
We like to lie about it. We like to cover it up. We like to ignore it. We don't want to talk about it. And he said, here's this thought. Like, here's what I've learned to do. I take my weaknesses, and that way, because everybody knows about them, everybody sees them, and so I, because of whatever he had, I think he got to a point where he was like, hey, look, just so you know, I've been, I've been battling with this. I've been struggling with this. Hey, it's my testimony. I just want you to know that I've been fighting this fight and going through this battle, and you know what? God is seeing me through it. And he said, I'm going to make this my testimony. I'm going to make, make it something that I eventually brag about so that I don't brag about me. No, no, no. I brag about the fact that God's grace has sustained me when I am at my worst and I'm at my weakest. Here's, here's how maybe I would put it. Embracing your inability is a prerequisite for experiencing Christ's ability. At some point, you might want to own it, is my point. You might want to just embrace it. You might want to just go ahead and quit hiding it because most people already know you got that issue anyway. You ever been there before? Like you keep trying to hide it, but everybody knows it. <laughs> Look, everybody knows. Just own it. Boast about it. That I'm leaning into Christ. I know I got this issue. I know I'm jacked up. I know I live at dysfunction junction and I'm torn from the floor up and I got all kinds of problems. I got tissues for my issues. I'm jacked up. But, but, God is sustaining me and God's pulling me through and God's working it out. I'm not glorying in my mess. I'm glorying in the fact that God is pulling me through this. And now that I recognize, hey, I'm broken and I'm weak and I cannot do this on my own, you know what shows up? The power of God. Because now all of a sudden his power, his, his grace is there in the midst of your weakness. And I'm not telling you that you need to do this. I'm just telling you that this is what Paul did. Because here's what I know. When you're in the midst of it, like bogged down right in the middle of it, it's really, really, really hard to see this. But here's what I know. I've talked to enough people and I've seen enough stories and history and testimony that I know. That when you start to get to the end of it or when you get on the other side of it, you get this something called hindsight, right? Have you ever looked back at a season of your life and in the midst of that, at the time, you never saw God at work? But now you're like 10 years removed, five years removed, you're down the road a good ways and you look back and all of a sudden it's like this aha, like, oh my gosh, God was so at work. Has anybody ever had that work? God was so at work and I didn't even know it. Like God was orchestrating and doing things that I didn't think about it at the time. But as I look back on it now, it's become so clear. Like, like, there's, there, like I know a person that their spouse got, got put in prison and they point to it as the turning point in their life. It was the hardest thing they'd ever gone through and they would never want to go through it again. But they think... Had I not, that's what, that's, according to their story, that's what brought them to God and brought their spouse to God for the very first time. So how many of you sit around and say, God, you know what? If it needs be, prosecute me. If it needs be, God, put me in county. Let's do Santa Rita's just down the street. Let's do this. Nobody prays prayers like that. And usually when you're getting locked up, you're worried like, oh, who, dear God, is going to be my cellmate? You're not thinking about what God is orchestrating. But I, I, like I know this other woman who had this thing where she had to go in and she had to have something removed and had some work done. And you would think, man, who wants to go through that? Who wants to get cut open and have this pulled and tugged and removed or whatever? And it was while they were in there that they found the earliest stages of cancer. And were able to treat something and find something so faster than they ever would have been able to before. And so all of a sudden you're looking at something like, wow, what an awful thing to have to do. But you know what? God was able to use an awful thing to create a better thing out of it. 
Like God was able to take something awful and make something like beautiful come out of it, make something good come out. And it's hard to imagine when you're in the midst of it. Like the other, like, like a couple of weeks ago, um, if, if you know how we kind of roll in and set this whole place up, we have like a 24 foot trailer or something that we put a lot of our equipment on. And when, when they pulled the equipment um, and, and the trailer out of here, we got a flat tire just down the road on this big, huge trailer. Like the thing just pops and blows. And, and so, you know, he calls in, he's like, dude, what do you want me to do? And we're like, just, just, we think we can drive it back. So we drive it back. And, and so we end up like emptying the trailer into our office space. And we're like, tomorrow we're taking this thing down. We're getting all new tires put on and, you know, we're going to get this thing taken care of. And so we thought, okay, well, this is a pain. This is, but hey, at least it happened after church, not on the way to church, you know, at least it happened on a Sunday when we got time to fix it. And so sure enough, we took it in to go get like the tires put on properly. And you know what they found? is that like the axle and the frame had snapped and broken apart. And had, had we not caught that when we caught that and had a bad thing not happened, a worse, a worse thing would have happened. And I, I, what I'm trying to get you to see is that there's so many things in the universe that you don't know, you don't understand, and your finite wisdom could never wrap your mind around it. But many times you look at life and you're like, how can anything good ever come out of this? And you're right, you could never see that. But it doesn't mean that God can't see that. And sometimes bad things happen for a greater good and a different reason and a different purpose and a different plan. And sometimes on a micro level and sometimes on a macro level. And you have no idea. But, but sometimes in the midst of it, we're like, how could anything good ever come from this? But here's what you need to know about God. Sometimes we confuse what God's agenda or plan is in our life. Let, let me make sense of that. We think that God ought to always be kind to us. But really what you've missed is, is that God in his nature always is good to you because he loves you. And there's a difference between goodness and kindness. Okay, let, let me just say that. I have the most amazing dentist. Does anybody like a good dentist? Awesome. You should pass out cards. Because good dentists are hard to find. I have the best dentist. Um, but how many of you know like when you've got an issue in your teeth and in your mouth and you got whatever your dentist is going to create pain in you because they know that for them to be good is not to be kind that they're going to have to do something unpleasant to you to bring about a different a different good you ever had a doctor have to open you up and remove something that was there that didn't belong there and for him to be good was not to be kind i went and worked out yesterday that's not like a miracle i work out Frequently. And, and, and I'm working out yesterday, and I'm working out with this dude that is, like, yoked up. You know what I'm saying? Like, dude needs, like, a training bra-type level, like, put it away, okay? Put it all, you're showing off now. Big old arms, just jacked up. And I go, and he's my buddy. He's, like, known him for, I don't know how long, 20 years almost. And, and he's, 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 like, the greatest dude. And when you get into the gym with a trainer... What that, what you, here's what you need to know. For them to be good is not to be kind. I have pain in my back, in my legs, in my butt. Everything hurts right now. Like, I'm in pain right now because for him to be good was not to be kind. Are you hearing me today? Let, all right, if you, you still don't believe me. If you think it's impossible for God to take the worst possible thing that's ever happened to you and bring good out of it. If you think that's beyond God's ability, I want you to listen to what Jesus did and what he said and how he described what he went through. Listen to this. Luke chapter 22, verse 41. The Bible says that Jesus, before he went to the cross to be crucified, 
He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, his disciples, because they fell asleep during prayer time. He knelt down and prayed, and this is what he prayed. He said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, yours be done. He says, Dad, which is a killer way to know God and to understand God and to relate to God, to know that he's the creator of heaven and earth, but he's my dad, he's my father. And he says, Father, um, if you're willing... Meaning it's not that you're not able. This is not an ability issue. This is a willing issue. Does that make sense? Like, like, it's not that he doesn't have the power to, that there's a plan probably. And so if you're willing to change the plan, and if you're willing to change your mind, I'll skip out the cross thing. I've seen it. I'll skip it. If, if it's cool with you, I'll pass. That whole spiritual thing where all the sin of all of humanity, both past, present, future, and all that somehow gets stuffed into me and on me, I'll pass. I'm just putting it out there. He says, but I understand that that might not be the plan. Because remember how Paul said that there was a gift with a purpose and it came with a promise? I want you to think like the gift was salvation for all humanity. That the purpose is that Jesus would forever change the world. And it came with this promise that somehow God would sustain him and even raise him back to life. And all the disciples, can you imagine? They were like, there's no way. They had no thought in their mind. What possible good could come from killing God? And the worst thing that could ever happen actually became the greatest thing that could ever happen. Because sometimes the painful, the trial the humiliating, the debilitating, the whatever it is, it's a gift with a purpose. And so let's go back to what Paul said. Paul said this. He said, in order to, I was given a thorn. It was a gift. If we can go back to that. It was a gift with a purpose and a promise. So I'm not telling you that you have to. I don't know that it absolutely is. But let me just say that it's possible that the worst thing could be used to become the best thing. That God could be up to something that in the moment doesn't seem very kind, but it could be the best. That there's a purpose with a promise, and the promise is this. The promise is that no matter what it is that you're going through, that God will grace you. That He will give you the strength or the power to endure, to sustain, to persevere, we talked about this last week. Even if it ends in death, death, he beat that. So that doesn't even get the final say. He still gets to win. Peter Kreef said this, and we'll close here. Peter Kreef was asked about pain and suffering in the world, and, and he was basically describing how like that we should probably see things not in light of our lifespan, but in light of eternity. And he said this about life and pain and suffering. He said the universe is a soul-making machine. And part of that process is the learning and the maturing and the growing through difficult and challenging and painful experiences. The point of our lives in this world is not comfort, but training and preparation for eternity. Could it be that while you're in the meantime, that God is up to something? That in the meantime, there's a temptation, look, to quit to run, to bail, to throw in the towel, to medicate, there are, to get mad, to resent, to turn away. There's every temptation out there. But what? But what if? And could it be 
that if you'll dig into God, if you'll lean in, if you'll lean into His presence, His help, His strength, if you'll trust Him, that Christ in you will empower you. That when you persevere, it'll mature you. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, by the time you get done with that, you'll look back and say, you know what? It might just be that it was a gift. I didn't feel like that at the time. At the time, it felt like a curse. But it turned out to be a gift because God had a plan. And even through it, I held on to the promise that He was with me and His grace would sustain me. Let's pray today. If you're out there today and you say, Todd, I think, that I don't even know if that's me or not, the, the, the way Paul described it, but here's what I know. I know that I'm in the midst of a trial, that I'm experiencing pain, and I'm experiencing an in-the-meantime moment. You know what I'd love to do is I'd just love to pray for you right now. And so if you're here today and you say, hey, I'm in the midst right now of my in-the-meantime moment, I just want you to slip your hand up in the air. Everybody's eyes are closed, their heads are bowed. Yeah, we're in the meantime. I just want to pray for you today. God, I lift up these people to you, God, and I pray that right now they would feel your grace sustaining them, that they would feel your strength, that they would feel your love, that they would know that, God, just because there's, there's pain or suffering, God, you are not absent, but you are with them. That, God, you might even be up to something in their lives. That there might be the best story and the greatest testimony and the greatest good that comes when we get to the other side of this. God, whatever it is that they're experiencing, God, I pray that you'd speak to them. That just like Paul did when he pleaded and pleaded and he cried and he begged God that you would speak to them. And God, reassure them that your love is real. That you are with them, God. Father, we pray for everybody in this room that God, no matter where it is we are in life, that if we have a trial somewhere down the road, that this series somehow prepares us, equips us, gets us ready so that we know whatever we face in this life, we're going to be okay. We're going to make it if we will trust in Him, if we'll lean into Him. So Father, I pray for this great church and these great people, God. We pray that Your grace would be sufficient for them, God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And we all said... Amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.